The scripture reading today comes from the book of John, chapter 15. Please follow along in your bulletin, on the screen, or in your own Bible. Starting in verse 1, we read, I am the true vine, and my, va- my father is a vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is the word of God. Thanks, Kate. <clears throat> well, a very good morning <clears throat> to you all at Watermark. It really is a delight to be back. Um, uh, and a warm thank you to the leadership and elders for tolerating me in the pulpit a second time. Uh, that's much appreciated. In John 15 and the verses that have been read to us this morning, <clears throat> there is a wealth of material that we could mine for, <clears throat> for weeks and weeks. But I really want to just focus on a couple of points and I've tried to summarize it as I was engaging with the elders. They asked me, come and summarize it in seven to ten words, which is a wonderful discipline. And really to say, you cannot live nor be fruitful without Christ. You cannot live and you cannot be fruitful unless we are in Christ and not just positionally, but abiding in Him as Jesus has taught us and instructed us. In the chapters of 13 to 15, <clears throat> Jesus is again, has, has again <clears throat> emphasized the great purpose of life and the great way to live that purpose out. In John 14, you would have covered it in, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The way to live life is by living the way Jesus has lived it, by the truth that Jesus represents, uh, <coughs> uh, 
and to embody the life that he exhibited. In John 13, earlier he had told us the, uh, the way to live, how to live life, was by simply giving us a new commandment to love one another. So the great two themes of life, what's the direction, what's the purpose, what's the meaning, is to live like Jesus lived. And the way we do that, the way it gets worked out, is the way we demonstrate in the ordinariness of life, loving and preferring and being patient and kind and gentle and long-suffering and hoping all things and believing all things of one another for the sake of the Lord Jesus. But in John 15, what Jesus is doing, he's now taking this macro perspective and he's reducing it, in a sense, to the micro. How does this apply at the personal level? How does this apply to you and me? And he's made the great statement, I am the true vine. There's a reference there to Israel had been, had been is described metaphorically frequently in the Old Testament as God's vine, as God's vineyard, as what God had planted as a, to be a representation of a people group, then more specifically a tribe, and then more specifically a family, and then more specifically a person in the form of Aaron, of a group that was committed to following him and serving him and obeying him, that this people group would represent an alternative to the way men and women lived. Uh, Tom Holland, in his book Dominion, explains this remarkably well, how the gospel, first century, burst in on the culture as something completely countercultural. The very fact that the Jews kept a day separate, holy to the Lord, was already completely adversarial or different from the prevailing cultures. The fact that they were to treat their servants properly, the way they looked after their animals, was completely separate from the way the world lived. And now Jesus is saying, we know that the vine Israel failed in representing God. Isaiah 5 speaks about how God has tenderly set the vineyard and how he nurtured it and cared for it and looked after it, but it yielded no fruit. And Jesus is saying that I am the true vine. The focus and the meeting place of God is now no longer in a system. It's no longer in a process. It's no longer in a set of rules. It's no longer in a, in a creed. But it is the meeting place for man with God is found in a person. And his name is Jesus. And I am that true vine. And then he wants to tease out what that really means, being the true vine and trusting in him and relying upon him. He is saying that he supersedes everything that has gone before and we are called to abide in him. Now when Jesus is calling us, when Jesus is, is describing himself as the vine, he's not just uh, saying that the meeting place with God has changed, which it has, from a process, from a system to a person. But he's also saying the way that we meet with God 
and he meets with us is through not so much self-effort, but this word to abide, to rest, to trust. And in a city like Hong Kong, this is very countercultural and very counterintuitive in a city which represents so much achievement. I was talking to a colleague who was traveling with me last week, a young man from South Africa, his first business trip to this part of the world. And I said, I think in a square kilometer of Hong Kong, we've got more high-rise buildings than in the probably nearly the whole of Africa, certainly, certainly South Africa. It just speaks of accomplishment and effort and achievement, which is wonderful. But the problem is we tend to bring that kind of culture into our relationship with Jesus, into our engagement with God. And Jesus is giving us a, for, a teaching here which does not easily rest with our restless souls, so anxious to be busy and achieving in a culture full of KPIs and KPAs and measuring how good we are by what we've accomplished, Jesus comes with a teaching which is completely different. And he is saying that the vital union, the complete dependence and engagement and relationship is found in abiding, resting. And the effectiveness of Christian living... <clears throat> paradoxically, is resting in the vine, not being the vine, is allowing yourself to become the branch and living fruitfully beyond anything that you could have imagined by resting and abiding and trusting in Him. You see, all religion offers a subtle, sometimes not so subtle, form of self-redemption. I can save myself through repentance, through good works, through effort, through denying, through sacrificial giving, none of which are wrong. But they become wrong when we start to rely upon that as the method and the, and the basis for our confidence and engagement with God, and especially with Jesus and the revelation of himself. And we are inclined to take into our own Christian living this concept of pleasing God and working and trying to satisfy Him. And Jesus is teaching us, te Jesus' teaching undercuts everything simply by saying, apart from me, please listen church carefully, apart from me, you can do nothing. And in a city which has accomplished so much, we say, but this is nonsense. How can this be? And really because what Jesus is speaking of is a kingdom that's not just shaped by what we see and feel and can measure, but he is speaking in terms of a kingdom from which he's come, which is eternal, everlasting, and ever-expanding. And in a sense, it's like trying to make a comparison, if you can see it, between this tiny pea pod between my finger and thumb, and we are scrambling to build, we're scrambling for a piece of the action, we're scrambling to make a statement in this small item, 
when what the kingdom of God is, is the whole hallway into which he has invited us to move and to live and to have our being. It is something much grander than what we might be able to touch and feel into that which is not necessarily that which is invisible, that which might be inaudible, that which we might not be able to touch and feel, but which we are able to experience through his profound, immeasurable greatness, the greatness of his power which works within us. <clears throat> and in a fast pace, losing our culture, and in a restless generation, this concept of resting is so confusing. Now, let me say, in this abiding and resting, we must not confuse this with an attitude of c'est la vie. Okay? That's life. <laughs> He's not saying that. It's not uh, the buzzword that was popular a few years ago, let go and let God. It's not a fatalistic kind of, well, God's in charge, which he is. What Jesus is saying is that abiding in him means that we make a faith-based decision, decisions consistently that affect the way we think. When, we are, when our thought life wants to take us in a position, in a direction, of, which is completely con or marginally contrary to Scripture. And our hearts are maybe fearful or raging in anger or anxious. And our volition, the, the choice between what our hearts and our minds are suggesting and what we know to be true is, is, is being bent towards what's wrong. We are choosing to abide in Jesus as the vine and trusting the power on the person of the Holy Spirit to infuse into our beings the character, the life, the person, the way, the truth of Jesus so that in these mortal jars of clay there might be an expression of another world, of another kingdom which comes from his birthing, his fruit within us. And so... To the, to the one who is restless, to the one who is anxious, to the one who is stressed, to the one who is fearful. Jesus instructs us not to be careless, not to just let go and don't worry. He calls us to make a, a decision to say, I'm going to prioritize the person of Jesus, who he is, what he's taught, what he teaches, what he practiced, and I'm going to base my decision and response to all of life's challenges on who he is and trust for him to work his grace and his power and his authority in these situations in and through me by trusting and abiding in him. We draw all that we have for life and godliness through Jesus and through the ministry and the person of the Holy Spirit. You see, what Jesus is saying is that our focus needs to move from being the achiever 
being the one who accomplishes, to being an instrument through which his achievement and his accomplishment flows. And I think intuitively we know which is the more gratifying, the more satisfying, and the more enduring. You see, the grandeur of your city, as wonderful and as beautiful as it is, in a hundred years' time or less, someone's going to be saying, how do we replace these buildings with something else? <clears throat> I retired from my first job nearly 20 years ago. And it was a salutary lesson. Because my successor had no interest in perpetuating my legacy. <laughs> the first thing he wanted to do was to remove any sign of Steve Murphy... <laughs> and replace it with his own name and his own edifice. I get that. And I very quickly learned that what I built and what I treasured had very little lasting impact for succeeding generations unless it was making money. But what did endure and what did last, far more than I ever dreamt or imagined, was the love and affection and support that had been shown and sown into people's lives. The opportunity that the oppressed or depressed or the one who had been sidelined had been given and life had been changed for them and they moved on. Those folk kept coming back with a word of thanks. You see, when we build for the invisible when we build for more than just this kingdom, we do build eternally. A pastor of old said to us, frequently reminded us, he said, what you build into people's hearts and what you build into their lives lasts forever. The infrastructures that we build are simply put up for another generation to take down. And so what we're called to do is to rest in our intimate and permanent oneness with God. And the amazing design, the genius of the Father, is that this is for our good because this enlarges us, as we'll see in a moment. And simultaneously, it brings glory to the Father. <clears throat> Jesus said, abide in my love and in my words and in my commands. Abide. And the call to abide in Jesus is frequently drowned out by the call of an alternative, easier option. The siren scream of the now, of the instant, of the immediate, or the voices of self-protection and what will happen to me if. And what Jesus is saying is, will you just trust me and abide in me? But where are those voices, the siren scream and self-preservation? They ultimately leave us washed up as flotsam on the beaches, on neglected beaches. But if we abide in Him, He works His life in and through us so that we bear much fruit. Paul understood this. He said to the Galatians, he said, The life I now live in the flesh, I no longer live, uh, the life I live in the flesh, I live by the power of, of the cross. I have been crucified. It is no longer I that live, but that Christ that lives in me. What was he saying? Essentially this, that I'm not living this life any longer in the strength of what I can muster up, 
but I'm depending upon the person and the life of the Lord Jesus to produce his life in this vessel. That's a far more exciting and, and enlarging life to live than the life of the flesh will ever offer. You see, because we are united by faith, we share in his death and resurrection. I know you know this. All that was ours, our sin, our death, our pain, our self-deception, our heartache, our shame, condemnation, our guilt, has been swallowed up in the death of Christ. And all that was his, his life, his righteousness, his peace, his goodness, his grace, communion with the Father is provided to us and is ours Subject to us abiding. You know, there is a truth to those who said, you know, I tried Christianity and it didn't work. I used to be offended by that. But as I reflected on this, I thought there's a truth to that. Because Christianity isn't something that we try. It's a relationship into which we enter and which we nurture. And the real challenge and the real question is, how intimately are we involved in the person of Jesus? How closely and how frequently and how intimately can we talk with him? Can we share with him? Do we do that? As Kevin shared earlier about the importance of daily devotions. If you look at the, at the, at the story of all men and women in ministry who have failed, the common cause, the common cause over 80-90% ask them about their daily devotions and the mouth closes, the eyes droop, and there's an awkwardness in the conversation. And what God is calling us to, invites us to, beckons us to, just abide, just enjoy me, and commit yourself and your decision making to what I have to share. The tragedy is this, when we're not satisfied with Jesus and we don't embrace him, our restless souls will look for something else. A man by the name of Flavial describes this. He was a 17th century preacher and he put it this way. The believer is in spiritual danger if he allows himself to go for any length of time without tasting the love of Christ and savoring the felt comforts of the Savior's presence. When Christ ceases to fill the heart with satisfaction, our souls go looking in silent search of other lovers. And it's not because Jesus can't fill the hearts, it's that we're not putting ourselves in the position to allow him to do so. You see, he says that because the soul is constituted in such a way that it craves fulfillment from things outside of itself and will embrace earthly joys for satisfaction when it cannot reach the spiritual ones for which it was designed. And the, it gets worse. It's not just that our lives get filled with the wrong decision-making and we become absorbed with the wrong idols but we become progressively more and more isolated from those who are able to point us to Christ. We become, we become stragglers. It's not comfortable to be with, with, with those who are already enjoying relationship with the one with whom we know we should be 
working closely and walking with. And so the purpose of abiding, resting, trusting, is that we be fruitful. That's what Jesus was saying. He said, apart from me, you can bear, you can do nothing, you can bear no fruit. And fruitfulness is the injunction right at the beginning of Genesis. Be fruitful and multiply. And the injunction to Noah after the flood was to be fruitful, to be fruitful. And the character of God is that He is fruitful. The nature of our Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they are fruit creators. They are creationists. They are multipliers. They build. They create. Look at this, the wonder of the stars at night. If you can in Hong Kong, somewhere you can, I think, okay. And just pause and reflect on the hugeness of who he is. The design and the wonder of the body. And he's calling us to be fruit bearers for him. Because when we bear the fruit that he's calling us to do, we are making a statement in a world which is wrecked by sin, in a world which has gone wrong, in a kingdom which is dominated by the God of this world, we are saying there is an alternative way of living. There's an alternative kingdom, a stronger kingdom, a better kingdom, when we are fruit bearers of Jesus. Now, of course, being fruitful in the Old Testament was very much aligned was represented, not exclusively, but was representative of lands and cattle and expansion of families. But in Galatians, Paul writing there makes it very clear what the fruit of the Spirit is. Love, joy, peace, kindness. And when we allow, when we are abiding in Jesus, when everything in us wants to become defensive, when everything in us wants to attack, when everything in us wants to be self-opinionated, when everything in us wants to preserve self, and we are willing to abide and follow Him, we are making a statement in the kingdom of this world, the darkness of this world, we're lighting a light every time to say, there is another kingdom. There is another way of living. And this is enduring forever and forever. How was it that the culture of Rome was broken within three centuries and the gospel, which had been planted in probably every, little, every small town across the Roman Empire within 50 to 60 years of Jesus' death, death and resurrection, how did that happen? Because ordinary men and women were living the gospel life of caring for the poor, of the children who had been abandoned to die, taking them in and caring for them, the old and the infirm, of loving their enemies and praying for those that despitefully use them and treating women with respect and treating them with dignity. It changed the culture. It lit a light to say there is another way of living. And so the New Testament focus has moved fruitfulness from the external symbols of achievement and accomplishment to that which is written on our hearts by the new covenant, the internal. And we must be careful when we're thinking about fruitfulness and accomplishment that we're not just thinking in terms of abundance and materialism. Jesus taught that it was this aspect of fruitfulness that brought glory to his Father. 
And what glorifies the Father in a world bearing the fruit of sin and worshipping something other than God is a, the, of God, sensuality, idolatry, enmity, strife, bitterness and resentment are his people who are pointing in another direction and to another kingdom. In the enemy camp, God lights through a thousand people who love his son and serve him a light that says this is not what it's all about. There is another way of living. And so once we've received Jesus as our Savior, the Holy Spirit lives within us. And as we abide in Christ, the Holy Spirit teaches us and leads us and guides us. And the Holy Spirit transforms us. It's the presence, and, and I just want to spend a moment or two just talking about the transforming power of what God does in and through us. And so the evidence and the accomplishment in the kingdom is not so much what we think can measure and see, but how we allow him to accomplish in us, in a, in, accomplish, sorry, <clears throat> how we allow him to accomplish and represent himself in and through us. Psalm 1 made this very clear. Blessed is the man that sitteth not in the counsel of the scornful, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor delights, <coughs> in, delights in the counsel of the ungodly, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by uh, uh, rivers of water, and, and, and his leaf, it goes on to describe, and his leaf shall not wither. The gospel fruitfulness is transformational. It's not just been about being more effective. It's not about being, a, being better. It's not about... Jesus is not in the business of panel beating broken bodies into newer ones and more attractive ones. He's in the business of transforming and making that which is old completely and refreshingly new altogether. Just think of two or three extracts from the scriptures. <clears throat> Paul writing to the Corinthians said, Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, the adulterers, adulterers, male prostitutes, homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And then he adds those amazing words, and such were some of you. Transformed. His letter to the Ephesians, listen to the transformational power of the gospel. <clears throat> Let the thief no longer steal. Well, that's good. That's great. But not more, but he goes further than that. But rather let him labor, doing honest work. Absolutely wonderful. Going from being a thief and stealing and taking which is not yours to doing a, day's, a decent day's work. So, why? Goes even further, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. The gospel takes us from being those that steal from others to those that are, are changed and transformed the fruit of the work of the Spirit in us is not just to satisfy ourselves, but to be a blessing to others. And that's the nature of fruitfulness. You see, fruitfulness carries within itself 
the seed of its own continuity. Of its own, as the new buzzword in business, the new, of its own sustainability. Because the seed is the life for the next generation. And as we as a community exhibit and, ref- and reflect the fruit of what Jesus wants to bear through us in this world, we are, in a sense, carrying that seed to our neighbors, to our communities, to the children, to the grandchildren, and to succeeding generations. It's a work completely dependent, utterly relying upon engagement and relationship with Jesus and allowing the Holy Spirit to direct and to lead us. And so the question is, <clears throat> what issue, what challenge, what anxiety, what uncertainty are we battling with this morning? What is the prevailing video in the mind? What's the heart, what's the emotion that grips the heart? And what the scriptures are encouraging us to do is to make a faith-based decision to set those aside, those anxieties, and to say, Lord Jesus, I don't know how this is going to be solved. I don't know how this is going to be worked out. I don't know how this is going to be satisfactorily fixed. But I am choosing to abide in you, to trust in you, And when my mind starts to run away and take me down the wrong, I'm going to come back to saying, Lord Jesus, I'm trusting you. When my heart becomes anxious, I'm going to say, Lord Jesus, my heart is anxious, but I give it to you and ask you to speak your peace into me. The truth of the matter is Jesus said to us that we cannot live nor be fruitful apart from him. Outside of me, Nothing you do has lasting value. But as we commit and as we abide in Him, suddenly we're no longer living, as it were, for peanuts, but we're living for a kingdom that is everlasting. We're living for something much bigger than we ever imagined. And we are achieving not in terms of our own capacity and our own CVs, but we are achieving according to the grace and the goodness and the empowering person of the Holy Spirit. Each of us must make that choice for ourselves. Let's pray. Can I just ask you to pray? Father, it is with an amazing and a wonderful and profound sense of thanks that we come before you to thank you for your son, the Lord Jesus, and all that he bought on our behalf what he took from us, our shame, our guilt, our complete inadequacy, our complete hopelessness, and what you have introduced us to through being grafting us into the vine, that as we draw on you for sustenance, for strength, for insight, for wisdom, through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, Lord, life suddenly finds its right hue, finds its right perspective, finds its right direction. And Lord, we come and we cry to you. We do want to live lives that are fruitful. We do want to live lives 
that are effective for the kingdom of God. We do want to be consumed with being used by you for your purposes and for you to achieve what you want rather than to pursue the peanut agendas of our own lives. Open our eyes to the wonder of who you are and draw us daily, weekly, monthly, until our closing days into intimacy and closeness with you. For Jesus' sake and all his people said, Amen and amen. Thank you. God bless you.